You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. So first things first, welcome to 3DM's podcast. Second of all, to talk to my moderator, Fado, really quick. I have gotten three different compliments from three different people here today about this shirt. How dare I assume I had gotten a fourth? Everybody <laughs> loves Marty Squirrel, okay? Everybody loves Marty Squirrel. So with that, right. fellas, how are we? Oh, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm ready to talk about the show. So. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about this week. Uh, Nacho, if you'd like to vogue that sexy, sexy new book that we got that's sitting right in front of you right now. It's here, ladies and gentlemen. Morden Kynan's of foes. Uh, Looking good, camera guy. You need to, you need to, you need to hold it up a little higher. There you go. Yep, yep. Just you know, cover that thing called your face with it, really quick. Oh, rude! Like this? Yes. Mm, mm. <laughs> don't hit the mic because we don't own them. Uh, so before we get going today, um, we're going to talk about Morden Kynan's, and we have a interview that we are very excited about uh, with Dave and possibly Nate. Maybe Ted. I've been hearing a lot of rumors, uh, but we're going to talk to some of the guys from Nerdarchy, but mostly Dave. So um, we're going to start the show with that, and then we're going to talk a lot about Mordenkind. And so let's launch into it because this is a pretty packed show for us today. So let me just uh, let's get Nerdarchy on uh, into this call. Then yeah, let's get him on. So. Uh, Let's see here. Boot do do. Skype being difficult again. Uh, only mildly. Hmm. That's an imp- market improvement from Skype's usual performance. I got to tell you. So this is why Paul gave me this mic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. And that sounds good. Yep. I think I think everything's working on the first try this time, which is good. Hey, there we go. All right. So everybody, welcome to the show, Dave from Nerdarchy. I actually successfully ripped your guys's opening music and then it corrupted on my phone when i tried to upload it so i could you know try to do a cool thing and we just ran out of time uh for technical shenanigans but how are you doing i'm doing good and then you found to be cool yeah um, i just shot over nate's contact info all right looking for it oh something crashed on this computer but it's not mine so i don't care uh <laughs> over on the fb uh messenger yeah let's see two 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 he, he was having some struggles as well. We use Skype so rarely. Yeah, we do yeah. as well. But, I can't uh, remember the last time I booted up Skype. This is uh, – uh, I remember the last time I booted up Skype because that's how I play most of my Wednesday night games <laughs> when I'm at school. Yeah. No. Zoom the way of the future, I tell you. Zoom. And it's a lot more fun to say. Yeah, yeah that's true. It, it sounds too fast and high speed. All right. Let's see here. So let's see if we can <laughs> – I like Skype crashing over 15 minutes and so up we can, gigs of RAM. Let's see if we can get Nathan here as well. 
Jeopardy music or something going up in this jam. Yeah, I know, right? Sadly, so we just came back from our uh, our delightful long hiatus, and it turns out most of our files that we had uh, saved on this computer, uh, they gone. So, no yeah. love. We don't have our outro theme. Yeah, they uh, so on and so forth. They added. Uh, no, no, I don't want to do that. I want to add him to contacts. <sighs> I love how Skype was the way of the future once upon a time, and then it just <laughs> they just quit updating it, and it became very difficult. Oh yeah, but if it works, that can it really be the future? Contact third, third, stay in touch with people in third world countries. Yeah, true. Let's see. So, and to call your grandparents. Yeah. Can I add him to the call or what? Yes, yes. Go ahead and add him to the call. That should work, I believe. All right. Let's see. Um, I don't even know if this Skype on this computer is up to date. Ooh, I got a list of people I can add. So I can add all kinds of people to this thing. Oh, oh no. Oh, oh no. Let, let, let's bring the whole party in. Uh, whole party. I'm just going to randomly, anyone on my Skype list is coming in. Oh, oh boy. Geez. Oh, hey, I met you once three years ago. <laughs> hey, come on the show. With You're us. on this podcast with us now. All right. All right. Hello, greetings. Hello. Hey All right, there we go. We have a voice. We have the voice of Nate anyway. All right, now I got to... Hey, Nate. Now I got to quick crop this... Uh, <laughs> our uh, Skype bubble. I got... This is this is great live podcasting and radio, everybody. This I guess. Is, this is how you do it. We're definitely professionals and not complete We're amateurs. Doing it live. Yep, doing it live. Hey, we, we couldn't get our live chat to go uh, last time. Yeah, All for right. some reason, uh, OBS kept bouncing it. I'm like, no, that doesn't exist. Yeah, OBS is difficult. It's free though, so I so, mean, yeah. beggars can't be choosers. All I don't. Right. I don't usually have issues Let's with it, see. but for me, it's also simple. Hey, put up this game, Nacho. You're the person who uses Skype the most. Walk over here and make the uh, <laughs> make the contacts disappear. I don't work with this. Do you use it too? Not anymore. I only use it to call you, and all I have to do is press call Nacho. Once upon a time, <laughs> once upon a time, I knew I Skype. Like um, I like Nachos. There's a funny story behind that name. There usually is. There usually is. <laughs> anyway, so while we're while we're trying to make this all look good and we're just proving how oh, amateurish we are on the air. Oh, there we go. Oh, oh, yeah. That's going to look a lot better. Uh, so I assume both of you have Mordenkainen's. We hope so. Digitally on D&D Beyond. Excellent. <laughs> That'll yeah. work. Uh, so really quick, just before we launch into talking to you guys about how Nerdarchy got started and how, we, uh, how Nerdarchy got to where it is today. What is your favorite bit of Mordekainen so far? Because I've just been reading that thing obsessively since I got it Friday. Uh, let's if you had to, if you had to pick one, I don't. You know, I've kind of thumbed through the monsters, and I've read half of the Blood War so far. That's oh. that's where I'm at. Oh, okay. And, well, out of what you've seen so far, probably slowly sift through it. I have to say, having psionic races in it, any of that is just good for me to read. That's my favorite. So you just became Paul's friend, and you oh, just yes. became a blood enemy of mine, because that's always an <laughs> awkward conversation in the car whenever psionics comes up, because Paul's like, ooh, psionics, and then you just hear knuckles cracking in the front seat. So, see, I, we I, got I think psionics can be fun. Ones. I understand why Jake doesn't like them, but that makes me want to play them more. Right, but this is less about my hatred of psionics, because we've already done that episode, and this is more about nerdarchy. So, <laughs> yes, guys... <laughs> How did how did you start Nerdarchy? What is what is the origins of Nerdarchy? What's your origin story? Begin? Well, when a mommy Nerdarchy and a daddy Nerdarchy <laughs> really love each other. Yes. No. So uh, my brother was living in New Mexico at the time. Okay. And he called me up and going, "Hey, I want to move back to Philly." I'm like, "Okay, why are you telling me?" Uh, 
And, you know, so, so that, so he goes, well, we should do something. And I'm like, well, what do you want to do? He's like, let's do something like an indie board games or something like that. See, because I used to have, I had a background in internet marketing and network marketing and doing some crazy stuff like that. And, and I know how to like kind of move traffic around on the internet. So he wanted to, he wanted to exploit my skills for something fun. Yeah. And I was like, so that's kind of how, like, that was like the, the genesis. And then me and Ryan spent about a month pitching names back and forth. And be like, oh, that's an awesome name. We can't get any of the properties for that, the socials or the or or, or the uh, the URL for that. And we did that. Did that. Uh, I, I wish we still had those text messages, all the things we went through, uh, and messenger messages, because uh, there must have been like hundreds. It's so hard because the find everything with any incarnation of nerd or geek was taking. Yeah, but so we found finally found nerd. Nerds on the internet are well informed. You know, funny, there is another nerdarchy too. Like, it, I almost accidentally linked it when I was sharing everything for the episode, and I was like, bastards. Yeah, we joked about giving them a cease and desist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, we had the same problem when we were coming up with this show. We were going to be friendly neighborhood DM, and like, right as we were about to put everything together, like, some 12 year old who's into D&D started making YouTube videos in his room, and I was just like, bastard. <laughs> I'll find you. I'll find you. I'll find I'm gonna, yeah, no, because that's all your mom wants is a 27 year old bearded man to show up and you took my name. You're a child. <laughs> yeah, we can't do anything man. to you, but we will smack your parents. <laughs> but not really. Now we must kung fu fight. No, we won't. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now we must battle for the honor of the name. Okay, so besides all that. Besides all that, so let's, yeah. So I do I, I knew if we were going to do a thing, we needed to build a team to do it. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, and also, we we didn't really know this was a thing, right? We didn't know people were doing this on online, so we started looking into it. I have a mentor that kind of teaches me about all things online, and we started doing research, and we found Noah Atwiler, Spoonie, Counter Monkey. And we're like, oh, he's got like thirty. Th- There's like thirty thousand people that like to watch him talk about this. This is a real thing. Yeah. And then we stumbled upon uh, Andrew Armstrong, Dawn Forge cast, and so I was like, all right, we're gonna do it. And uh, you know, we brought in. First, we brought in my brother-in-law, Ted, and then soon after that, we brought in Nate. And, you know, for the longest time, it was the four of us, four of us. up until, I guess, early this year, it was the four of us. And, uh, you know, Ryan left to go play with Dolls, and uh, we're still doing Nerdarchy. Yeah, well, you know, different horses doing, and all that he's stuff. He's doing his art. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I hear you have, uh, you know, because I was brushing up on your guys' stuff uh, when I was, uh, you know, obviously preparing for this and you have an intern, which is great to hear. I've never heard of a YouTube channel getting an intern, but that's awesome. Uh, Jake, the intern. We did. And you know what? A lot of so, it, you know, YouTubers, streamers do end up with a lot of people that end up helping them and volunteering. And we've, you know, it's a business. So along the way, we've had to seek legal counsel for things. And one of the lawyers is like, you can't say volunteer. That's illegal. That's not a legal thing. You you have to say unpaid volunteer. Up until the fact that we actually did get an actual, honest God, legal um, intern because it's through the government. They, you know, he's actually paid to do the job. We we make the joke that he's probably the highest paid member of Nerdarchy. Uh, but you know, for the last six months of his uh, military service, is it's going to be working for us. Your tax dollars at work, people. No, Nacho. Oh, uh, no, I I know all about using those tax dollars. Yeah, Nacho is former Marine, United States Marine Corps Devil Dog. That's why when I said I'm going to fight him in the parking lot, I said 
So knowing he's only injured right now, and now is one of the few times I can get away with beating him. <laughs> so you could probably run him over with a car. Yeah, but he drove here. though. it's his truck. Here, actually, let me move my keys away from Jake. Yeah, Paul's probably safer. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> so uh, let's hear uh, let's hear the history. How did you get into the illustrious hobby of Dungeons and Dragons? Good, Nate. Why don't you why don't you lead in? <laughs> How we got into it? Well, I actually joined late. I joined when I was fourteen. And uh, that was a that was a long time ago, over twenty years ago. And uh, I ended up playing a Dark Sun game, I think, in uh, Ted's parents' basement when he was younger as well, before he had got off and got married. And I was introduced to Dave and the rest of the crew and his uh, younger bro- brother Ryan, who who wasn't nerdy at the time. And uh, we, I, I I was in and out of the group for for years, but they played pretty consistently for going on twenty something years. And uh, Ted and Ryan were both a part of that core group. So that's how we kind of started playing D&D. And, but, and Nate actually had to break into D&D, to be honest with you. <laughs> no. Nate, you know, he, oh, wait a minute. No, it was the scouts you had to break in. I thought it was the other yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, okay. So, yeah. Uh, yeah that's, I, that's a side note. But basically it was scouts were nerdier than D&D in high school, I guess. Well, so when my friends were unavailable to play D&D, they had to go someplace. And they wouldn't tell me where. So eventually I had to like I almost threaten it out of them. Be like, you're gonna tell me what you're doing, or we're not playing anymore. So no, I can them. I can definitely relate to that. I had uh because I was what could air quotations jock in high school and my cousin played a lot of D D uh and like I had hopped in and you know, I was having fun, you know, and all that stuff, but every day I was a social butterfly, you know, so I wasn't playing all the time. And I came back and they had turned me into Gollum. And uh, that I kind of washed my hands at D and D for about five years after that because I, I, the betrayal was too real, too real. That and just my nerdy, my nerdy ass cousin just you know completely threw me under the bus. Yeah, but now you take it out on us. Oh yeah. No, I just well, yeah. Okay. Probably, but, as as I look at this empty chair where job. Clint's supposed to be. <laughs> hey, sometimes if you mess up somebody's game, they're willing to kill your character over it. Oh yeah, <laughs> true, very true. He hasn't told me yet, especially if you're not there. <laughs> No, I was I, just told, yeah, show up whenever you want. I didn't show up for three days. All right, well, you're Gollum now. So we we didn't mean that. We don't mean that when we say that. <laughs> <laughs> we mean like show up whenever you want, and you want to show up every time we play. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, looking at Nerdarchy's impressive amount of content, and for anybody uninitiated in Nerdarchy, let me just gush a little bit about them. Um, they do everything when it comes to D&D. You want to talk about converting characters to, you know, from media and fiction to D&D? They do it. You want to talk about Kickstarters that are coming out and stuff and like really cool ideas and they push them to the forefront? They talk about it. You want to talk about uh Unearthed Arcana stuff and how it can be tweaked and how it can be molded into your game? They talk about it. Like there is not a Dungeons and Dragons topic you guys don't touch, it which is something I actually legitimately adore about you because like you know when you look at the landscape uh matt colville dominates everything theory wise like in terms of theory matt colville just you know he's the dude that guy like if he was sitting in a robe in a monastery and like i had to pay money to go see him i would because just i've fallen asleep to matt colville because his voice is weird just did that to the tune of like two million dollars so yeah 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 you'd climb the twenty thousand steps to get there yeah exactly with his kickstarter um but with you guys it's you know it's just seriously from raw love of the hobby and so is there uh i guess you know asking for everybody else what 
else is Nerdarchy looking at doing? Because again, whenever you go to the go to the website nerdarchy.com and there is literally everything there articles videos like you name it you want it for D. &D. what are you looking to expand into yeah come on advertise on our channel you'll advertise all 300 people watch us yeah we actually have a couple big projects we're working on right now uh we have a we have a huge deal that we just can't announce yet and we the the ink has to dry on the contract first and that's probably we're going to be announcing that in the next week or two um, in the next couple of months, we're launching a Kickstarter, although we keep saying the next couple of months, they keep pushing out. But when we do it, we really want to do it right and make sure we have a quality thing to put out. And that's Out of the Box Encounters for 5th Edition. Mike Gould had wrote all these amazing encounters on the website that you guys can go and download and check out for free right now. But we're, we want to put art to it. We want to put maps to it. There's some things that have to be cleaned up. It wasn't put out to be a product. So there's some things in there that were Wizards IP that we have to change. So the final product is actually going to have a lot of new uh, magic items and monsters that we've had to customize in order to uh, to make it legal, I guess. So we're not stealing IP. Um, yeah. But, but, you know, Mike has just did such an amazing job with this. We were kicking back and forth. What are some things we could make? And I'm like, this thing is already made. It just needs maps. It needs art. We're going to par- we're, we're partnering with Arknight. I don't know if you're familiar with our products. Yes. But they do these. Yeah. Well, for anyone who is it, they do these amazing flat flat pack minis. And what they are are they're clear plastic and they're painted. And they have a front and a back. And they just look great. If you're going to use pawns like these, these are the ones you should probably be using if you're not going to use uh, three-dimensional minis. So we're going to do those. They're going to match up. And they're even going to make some unique monsters for us. Uh, you know, I cannot confirm or deny there will be goblins riding on bats that dive bomb people with bombs. Um, they're, they're, we're going to be doing maps that you lay out because they also do like a map series. So if it's a specific scene, we're going to have the map for it. If it's more of an ambiguous scene, there's going to be elements together so you can uh, build that scene. So there will be several. So that we're going to have le- we're going to have levels for the book for a hardback book. We're going to have levels where you can get the book along with the minis or you know levels with book or minis and maps. So we're really excited about that. When we we really want to knock this out of the park and put together something people really want to use at the table. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, if you don't mind, could I interject with a question? Of course. Yes, uh, absolutely. As somebody who runs games almost exclusively online, are those maps going to be available in PDF form on images? You know, there. I don't know yet. Um, we we actually work with Fantasy Grounds a lot, and the Fantasy Grounds college folks. So there's probably we're probably going to be able to do like digital packs as well. And it would only make sense that we would. Uh, with it's that, not like there's distribution kinda, costs or anything. So, yeah. yeah. Although, although we are partner with Arknight on some of this stuff, so we will have to like double check with them. Um, there's also we know we've got two stretch goals that we we know we're going to be going after, and one of them is going to be Maze Arcana is going to do an encounter. Uh, Proit and Jim Davis from WebDM are going to do an encounter, and and also too Matt Mercer wrote this amazing forward for us. You know, uh, you know, he. he, he uh, it talks a little bit about nerdarchy and then also praises the actual encounters in there and how inspire, inspiring they are. So I know that I said that I know that made Mike's day when when you heard about that. Yeah, yeah no, how, that is. How does it feel getting the seal of approval from, from Matt Mercer? Yeah, the world's most famous DM at this point. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me say, let me Diesel. just say this: when I got the email, I was laying in bed um, with my wife and I was you know on my phone and I read it, and, and my wife looks over at me. She's like, "Do you want to be alone?" she saw the tear forming in the side of your eye there at, at least she understood yeah that's what she yeah no and that that means you got a good wife though she understands so uh let's switch gears a little bit because 
um, another thing, I know you guys do live games and, you know, uh, it's hard to keep up with in, in the world we live in now where everybody puts their D&D online, which is amazing, but suddenly it means you have a bajillion hours of content to try to keep up with. Um, you know, I try to watch your guys' stuff whenever possible, but I want to ask you guys from a DM standpoint. So when it comes to DMing, where exactly do you like to draw your inspiration from? For me, uh, for example, anybody who plays in my games, they realize very quickly, A, I like – Miyazaki stuff, I like Game of Thrones, and I use a lot of pro wrestlers as villains. And they're just like cleverly disguised as not pro wrestlers. Disguised. Disguised. Like the <laughs> one the one guy who plays in my game who's a pro wrestler is just, or who's like a big pro wrestling fan as well is just like, you didn't. I was just like, shut up. Shut up. Don't. Shut up. Um, it, it, it's not disguised that well. Yeah. So <laughs> um, – who what what's your guys's go to for inspiration? Like what is that well that just keeps giving to you as far as D and D inspiration? Players, my players quickly learn to shut their mouth at the table. <laughs> They're the side chatter, but not really because they know like I'm going to steal their ideas and regurgitate them back into the game. Oh yeah, one especially the, if they say something awful. One of the greatest conceits of a gm is the ability to take the wildest and stupidest theories your players come up with and have them be actually what's happening hey you know what i had so excited to find out it is actually true (laughs) i had this carefully constructed plot but you just said it was three goblins in a robe so you know what let's do that (laughs) absolutely it's funny when you're mentioning your npcs because we do have a live stream game going on now that um Nate's a player in it, and our chief and editor Doug is the GM. And the, I think the very first episode, uh, the the main NPC, he he was channeling Guy Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> the game is also very food centric, so oh, yeah. in Jest Quest, a connoisseur <laughs> with, with Spelljammer Five E. Um, is Donkey Sauce a spell? <laughs> it should be if it's not reskin grease. Yeah, reskin grease. <laughs> Hey, what are some of the things you guys encounter? You've encountered. Well, okay. So we the first thing was we crafted boule mignon and we hunted the beast to make it. We also did. Um, we had to kill in that uh, in that same area a uh, pot of soup that became a gibbering mouthers. <laughs> Sounds and, dangerous. Uh, it, it was later found out they used Ill- illegal sentient ingredients, and that's what the problem was. Oh boy. Uh, we've also gone to uh, the the land of Tor with volcanic chocolate and nest quicksand and a few other food like things so it's kind of got that like can't be funny feel to it but we're also being serious at the same time it's a, it's a good combination oh, yeah. and, so make uh, sure you eat before watching it oh yes yeah, get yeah okay so there was this this last time um <laughs> episode nine we had some problems it's called you can milk anything and oh, uh it oh, was a, we went to a cheese factory and they had some really nasty cheese, and we we actually had to go deal with the creature. And uh, someone there was a death actually. Oh no! Trying to milk this thing. <laughs> uh, okay. Imagine that engraved on your tombstone. Yeah, I know, right? Like that's died a diet attempting to milk a thing that probably should not be milked. Yeah, no, was it a Tarasque? But I guess pulling things back to like inspiration, and that's like an example of like you know those those guys made this very food oriented game and doug just kind of ran with it you know they they, there's even contracts amongst the players the rules for eating other players when they meet their demise i think was a thing um we heard i'll be delicious in herb butter sauce oh yes (laughs) (laughs) 
we did a video on uh, on junkyard harpies because because I was on my way over to the uh, to to the lair to Ted's basement where we shoot to and I was listening to NPR car talk and you know one of the one of the guys they 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 had the guest on and she was talking about about something and they're like go to the go to the junkyard you can get this just we'll look out for those junkyard harpies. And I was like, oh, my God, Junkyard Harpies needs to be a thing. Why is this not a thing yet? <laughs> so we're we talking like steampunk harpies then or? In, well, you know, in, in our world, we've got this place called Faust Haven. And it's kind of like a city, city of devils right. uh, that, had, uh, that had a portion of hell uh, kind of transimposed beneath it. So the Underdark there is this mock-up city of Faust Haven where devils basically go through the charade of living like people and and there's tons of like uh you know warlock packs that are being made all the time and you can you know mortals can go down there and they might come out with a fortune or missing their soul well outside of faust haven is the junkyard and you know it's just a place where they dunk where they kind of throw everything away because it is kind of steampunky they they use the infernal vents because it's in an arctic region except for this basin is like superheated because hell is beneath it. So they have these vents that you know push up the hot air from hell into the city, and they they capture that and they use it for like steam power and to do kind of like industrial things with it, which creates you know more more uh, junk and garbage than normal. So they have a place for it. That place is ruled by the junkyard harpies. So instead of being able to use the sirens call to call adventurers, and they actually use it to animate junk. And like one of the things that they animate and they use is this giant uh, monolithic uh, golem's arm, and that's what they use to kind of like move things around. So like a crane, but like yeah, exactly like a crane. In one of our distant in distant ages, there were these like arcana mechs that were used to battle giants and and dragons. So like it's like a leftover relic from another age. Sounds like you got a lot of history in your setting then or right. settings. So really quick, because we do we do got to wrap up here shortly because Mordenkainen's is a fat book and I have a lot of notes that we have to hit today. So two questions, though, and I'm glad you mentioned it before. Ted's basement. The lair. The lair, if you will. Well, where else as, would you play d d Well, here's the thing, because I, I know I had to turn you guys on to Nerdarchy when I was like, guys, Nerdarchy is going to be on the show. And you're like, whomst? No, I, I um, said yes. Uh, I know. I know you're paid. I had the same reaction from the guys when I was like, Skip Williams is going to be on. Yeah. Um, I will kill you. Fucking kill you. So, (laughs) so I, cause I remember watching the videos, you know, and initially it it is the, you can tell it is the basement where the nerding happens, but over time it has evolved into the super nerd basement. Um, Tell us about like how that basement developed, how it's like, because again, just in the beginning, you know, you see a couple of shelves of random RPG books and now it's just this, it's what every nerd wishes they had, like beautiful polished wooden shelves with all the books and all the, all the little like nerdy little trinkets you could ever want just hanging out. Tell us about the evolution of Ted's basement. This is more for me than anybody else watching, by the way, because I just want to know. This is important. Yes. It's it nerd just history. started off as Ted's basement, and when we decided that we, you know, you know, we've been making money through Google AdSense and the Patreon, and we wanted to pour it back into the show. So literally, all we did was buy shelves and create a little nook for for them in Ted's basement, and then just pour all the random stuff that Ted has on there into those into those shelves. And it's only a very small portion of what Ted Ted is a nerd 
hoarder or collector. I, I don't know which one you want to use. He he's obsessed with plastic and things nerdy. So and he's also a big time board game, card game, tabletop game enthusiast. In addition to RPGs. So we really didn't have to like curate the set. It was just like going around. It's what is it? <laughs> it was just co- like rummaging in all the different stuff Ted had available. And it's just like, oh, why why isn't this visible? Show this off. This is really cool. There is so much more. There's so much more. Oh, <laughs> whole collection of Dragon <laughs> Magazine. Every video. Oh, geez. You get to watch the progression of a that nerd is, invasion. Which, by the way, yeah, that is a video I would watch if you've ever considered making it. Just rummaging through Ted's stuff. I will watch that video. Um, <laughs> that's a great new, it's a great title for a video to yeah. rummaging through Ted's stuff. <laughs> you could also put a montage of just the background of the basement throughout as it just keeps expanding. That'd be nice. Oh, would it be wrong to start that video with a cross shot that expands out? Uh, how else would you start <laughs> exactly. it? Exactly. No, exactly. Um, I mean, so duh. let's do uh there's no other way to start that video. Let's finish off with two questions here. Uh, so question number one, and this comes back more to the DM-centric kind of stuff. Um, if So say you had one more ca- campaign to run, right? Like let's do the grimmest possible circumstances. You're terminal. You got eight months. You're going to run one more campaign. Got to run one game for death. Yeah, you got to run one game, and one of them players might even be death. What is the villain you use? Out of all your historical like villains you used in any of your campaigns, what is that one villain that you're going to bring back out for one, one last run, one last glorious run? So I would run a Undershorn game or campaign from Ebron, and I would use the uh, house, the house of the Aberrant Mark, and I forget, I don't remember it off the top of my head because I haven't played in Ebron in a few years. But I, that's where I would go. I, you know, I love Ebron. If I've got one left, one campaign left in me, I would make it Ebron. I would have to go to Sharn, and I love the Aberrant Marks. So I would make that organization the centerpiece as the villain. Excellent choice. Yes, agreed. I think I'd go pretty dark if I knew I was going to die. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I play an undead campaign in which the, um, the villain would actually be some kind of Church of the Light thing that's trying to vanquish all of the immortal well i mean you're immortal when you're undead even though it might not be a a pleasant existence but trying to like quash that existence out of uh out of the out of the verse so all right so you're saying the players are undead yeah oh yeah why not bold all right and technically cheating but this last one's a two-parter so a um if there's uh is there any game that nerdarchy plays and it's off time because obviously you guys are very dnd centric uh so is there a favorite like we're not doing dnd today we're gonna play blank and uh question the second would be uh obviously related to that if actually answer that first part because i just blanked on it and i just lost it in my notes <laughs> i'm the worst so, on the channel we've re- we've run marvel phase rip a dead game for 30 years we've uh we've run open legend and played uh by other skies campaign which was like eldritch horror fantasy steampunk mashup we've played star wars uh from fantasy flight games we've played the cypher system using Shadowrun as the setting so we do we do actually venture into other dnd most of our videos are about dnd because we played that more than anything right but we do like to mix it up like for a long while, it was like the third game 
or the, yeah, the third Saturday of the month or the third game of the month would be a non D and D game. We, me and Ted, would each run one a month for D and D, and then we'd have someone else come in and, and run something else. So for like for that, like I don't think we even care what it is. It's just like let's do something different. The, I would say the the main stipulation is it's not going to be medieval fantasy, whatever that game is going to be. Like, there's no point. Like, I don't. I don't need to get my D and D fixed by playing like something else, Burning Wheel or something. Yeah, like um, although interestingly enough, right now if you check out on uh, Twitch, Devil's Luck Gaming, they are running a five E game in the Warhammer setting. Oh, yeah, I was actually thinking about asking if y'all are making enough money to play Warhammer forty k or if. Just because that's expensive. Yeah. Uh, does, anyone, does anyone really make enough money? Exactly. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fair point. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum apparently plays it though, which is weird. Um, yeah, I, and I, I guess, walked into a shop when they were playing that, and it's like, how? As I looked at the cheapest box for forty bucks. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so I guess to leave us on uh, for this, is there anything that you guys still really want to see in five E? I know. Uh, Mordenkainen's actually did a really good job of just adding a bunch of stuff that I still felt was missing. Like when I heard I was going to get Archdevils, I was just like a giddy little school child. Um, is there any one thing that you want to see still added to 5e that you think 5e is like, missing. why isn't this here yet? Because we all know it's coming. It's just they're doing yeah, it in ways. You can say it. Oh. <laughs> no, no, no. All right. So aside from aside from a really in-depth thing with psionics and possibly a campaign setting that has psionics in it. Uh, I really loved from second edition, all the Van Richten stuff. Mm. So if they can figure out some magical way of kind of incorporating all the lo- like Van Richten lore into some kind of product, I don't really care what it is. I will buy it basically. They will have your money. Saying. Yes. They, I'll just be like, shut up and take my money. So if, if they do the Van Richten lore stuff, that would be fantastic. It would be cool to expand Ravenloft out yeah. to the rest of the dark domains. Oh, yeah. Agreed. If you'll pardon one more interjection. <laughs> and so I know before I do anything else, what are your opinions on Warlord? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, Nate skipped fourth edition. Yeah. And Warlord is something I would like to see back. I know Mike Morrell's Happy Fun Hour, he was messing with that. I did not see any of it. So I don't know how, how well uh, it was put together. But I would like to see, I, uh, I love the concept conceptually of the Warlord. From having heard how much people like it, I'm interested in, in seeing that be explored. All right. That's the one thing I would like back. So, yeah. Uh, Dave, what is one thing you'd like added or like uh, brought back from the depths from the from the histories of D&D? You, you know, the, I feel like they've captured like the most important part of previous editions. And that's like the feel. Right? 5e kind of feels like your favorite edition, whatever that is. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, you know, I'm waiting for Eberron to come back. I want Eberron to come back. I, I agree. Want to uh, back wants to I want face. official Warforged stats. Give me official Warforged stats. Well, funny thing, like everyone saw that on Earth Arcana and, and and rightfully, you know, trash trash talk on it. But what I, I found out out later is they actually created that before Five E was done. Oh, so, part one is part, still part of Next. Yeah, yeah, and they really didn't have the formula that they do now for. On Arcanas. All right. Yeah, it had too much emphasis. That definitely had too much emphasis on the plus one armor and the whatnot, being able to not needing to breathe. 
Is that part of the Warforged thing? Yeah. Yeah, you don't breathe, you don't sleep. You don't breathe, you don't sleep. You don't you're, bleed. You're the Tin Man. Yeah. You're the Tin Man the tin from Wizard of Oz. And it's you great. Can, you can hide three halflings inside your body. I've, exactly. Surprise halfling attack from your chest. <laughs> Where they run around I and felt, beat you with sticks. I felt Fucking so halflings. bad having Keith Baker on and people like asking him about Eberron. It just felt so much like uh, like he just had to go to the wedding of his the of the love of his life that's marrying someone else. <laughs> and, and and hear everyone talk about how great what a great couple they are. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I can I can definitely see that. All right, guys. It's been fantastic having you on the show. Please go ahead and plug everything you want to plug. Take as much time as you want within two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, you know, you can just find us uh, at Nerdarchy everywhere. Like, you type in Nerdarchy, our stuff will come up. If you're interested in Out of the Box Encounters for 5th Edition, where you can just have encounters to plop in your, your game because you don't know what you're going to do tonight, look for that Kickstarter. It's going to be coming in the next couple months. And we also have a huge partnership we're about to announce. So you can look for that as well. But, you know, Nerdarchy.com and Nerdarchy on YouTube. Yeah, if you check out some of our YouTube videos, there'll be plenty of links in the descriptions, especially on our Saturday uh, live chats for all the stuff we do. So you can get in, you can get plugged in that way. Sounds great. Then you said you had a Patreon too. Do you want to plug that, or do you want us to plug it? Ah, no, nah, yeah. You forget know our Patreon. Go to Nerdarchy's Patreon. Give them money. They're better are, than us. Are, are, are yeah. we still fixing ours? <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, we're fixing ours. We're average Joe's gym to their Globo gym, except they're not dicks. E- so e- eventually, we'll meet you in dodgeball. Eventually, we'll meet you in dodgeball. Ooh, ooh. There we go. We're not really athletic. Ted, Neither are we. we well, no, we're 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 out of the game. Ted, yeah. Ted uses sword when he does it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, guys. Thanks for coming on the show. It was a lot of fun talking to you. Thanks for being great. Thanks for having us. All right. Take it easy, guys, and hopefully we run into you again somewhere down the road. Have a good day. Thanks for coming on. You do the same. All right. So we're going to go take a quick break now that that interview is all done with. All right. Now, all you fans, you can leave because nothing interesting is going to happen for the rest of the show. No, except for we're going to talk about Mordenkainen's total foes. Yeah. So, you know, that's actually important, I think. It is important. I'm just joking. Don't mind me. (laughs) All right, we're going to take five minutes, guys, to go uh, get everything back together, and then we'll be back. Got to so, get them jitters out. Yeah, got to get them jitters out. We'll see you shortly. Three lost episodes. Yep, we're up to uh, we're up to three lost episodes. Not anymore, though. Just three. Yep. Well, that's the that's the plan. That's the hope. Is are you back? Then? We are now officially back. But are the mics locked? Uh, they are locked. Excellent. Yes, I made sure this time. Double and check. now I'm going to, I just did it. <laughs> okay. First, I'm going to do that. Welcome back, everyone. And then I'm going to actually move back on camera because now I don't have to be over there. Oh, just Carefully. try not to knock over the book. Double checking. This mic's on. Yes, indeed. Okay, good. Is it really on? I, oh, come I on. I hope it is. Here Here's we go. this so I don't drop it. We are experiencing technical difficulties. One moment. No, we're just experiencing our normal difficulties. Yeah, they're just standard. You know what? This one's just going to go here. Oh, Rip Dragon Magazine. Uh, oh, well. DMG. No, you know what? I'm scooching back over because that. <laughs> <laughs> we're done. We're done with that mic. Ah, well. That mic is going in the trash. Okay. No, it's not. We don't own it. We don't own it. I'm well, sorry. We're going to tell Dave about it and it's going to go in the trash. Regardless. At least that mic stand. We're so, back. We're 3DM's podcast. Yes, we are back. Uh, we just got done with our very fun interview with Nerdarchy. Uh, 
Yeah, that was a lot of fun. But now we have to focus on the big, juicy new thing that came out this week. Hold on. Let me Vanna White. <laughs> Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes in lovely impact font. Yes. And that book. So going over it really quick before we bought it, like I was really excited for it because every time there's a a new book that's really just geared towards the DMs because I do a lot of my, you know, homebrew content campaign stuff. And I'm not really big on running adventures. Uh, Mordenkainen's for me was a – it blew a lot of my expectations out because I knew we were going to get a lot of lore. We got a lot of lore in this There's book. a lot of lore in this I'd book. say about half this book is probably lore, honestly. Half of it's lore. The other half of it is monsters. But it is – it basically could be summed up as a – Monster Manual 2? Yeah, I'd say this it. is a a good Monster Manual 2. So let's just crunch the raw numbers on what this adds really well, quick. Wouldn't this be the third one? Whatever. Don't worry about it. Well, Volo's <laughs> Volo's uh, Volo's Guide, I feel... I think it's a worse Monster Manual 2 than this book. And I would actually call Volo's like Player's Handbook 2 slash Monster Manual 1.5. Like, because there's, there's not a ton of monsters in Volo's. Like, not enough that really you know there's not enough to truly change campaigns as there is in this book but let's start let's start from the top so there is lore on devils demons the blood war between devils and demons we have expansive lore on the elves we have expansive lore on the dwarves gith lore out the wazoo um there is a grand total combination uh, 149 monsters, I think I'm counting here. 149 stat blocks. We've got uh, six new playable races for characters. Yep. Uh, and a bunch of subtypes, too, for a certain race. So let's start at the very top. We're just going to cover this thing chapter by chapter, bit by bit. Chapter one is something that fans from Planescape are going to remember. The Blood War is back, finally. It's the been too long. The Blood War, for those uninitiated, is the constant war between demons and devils because evil, unlike good, rarely gets along with itself. That's the long and short of it. That is the long and short of it. So imagine World War One, but going on since the dawn of time and you've got the Blood War. Oh, and replace the British with devils and the Germans with demons or something like that. And you've got pretty much the long and short yeah. of it. Sorry, Frenchman. So <laughs> – wow. Vicious. So – they cover all the lore on, obviously, the Blood War, you know, the Great Chain or, you know, the six other different names they use for it inside of the book. Uh, they also cover, if you're going to stick to official D&D lore, uh, the how devils are made, how you, how you get a little – how you get a wee will baby devil, how you get a cute will baby. It involves a little bit more than when a mommy devil and a daddy devil. Yeah, no, it's usually much. sacrificing the soul. So that's actually – um, the very first thing I want to get into is so when you read through chapter one, uh, one of my favorite parts that they've added is they've added cult powers. Yeah. I even put an exclamation, uh, exclamation, exclamation mark. Thank you. Exclamation mark next to that because, oh my God, they're so cool. We have cults. Yeah. There is, well, no, they're not only satanic panic was right. <laughs> <laughs> the satanic panic was spot on. So, with all these No black leaf, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that shouldn't have made me laugh that hard. Okay. So what we have 
here is they have a breakdown of who would possibly be willing to sell their soul to one of the arch devils. Um, they give you the stat blocks from the original monster manual uh, to as to like what kind of a cultist would actually be a part of this arch devils cult. And there are traits. They, they, I, we could call them traits. We could call them powers. They grant features to their cultists and cult leaders. Yes. And a lot of them are really cool and add an actual excellent layer of supernatural ability to each cult. This allows you to make a pretty, you know, because obviously anybody who knows about, you know, any DM who looks at either a demon lord or an archdevil as like a big bad, that means that campaign's got to go to level 20. Yeah, because they're dangerous foes. Because they're remarkably powerful. But with these new things that's been added, you can suddenly have like that lower level boss and you can make him a lot more interesting and intangible. Uh, One I definitely want to go over. A little bit more special than, oh, I can cast Fireball. Yeah. Um, So, for example, one of the ones I really like is uh, Levistus's. Levisti? Levistus. Yeah. Sorry, Levistus. That's that's a big word. Yeah, it is. Levistus. No, I I was trying to make a plural out of Levistus, but. Levistii? Yeah, exactly. It was a shitty joke, okay? Move on. We'll go Roman with it. Yeah, we're just going to run with it. Regardless, they've got a feature which allows them to magically teleport to a location of Levistus's choice within one mile of its location. It restores all of its hit points and can be invoked as an action by the creature when the creature would die. Yeah. However, it's a one-time use. Yeah. What's interesting, too, is they annotate what barter would take place for their soul. Like, so what they're trying to, why they would probably approach this archdevil to barter. And so for Levistus, you're going to Levistus because you're trying to get away with a crime. You're trying to escape. um, And most people only barter their soul to Levistus in a very dire situation. Like I need to escape or maybe they do it as a forethought. Like I will give you my soul. If you will save my butt in the future. If you will save my bacon in the future. And that is how you can get that feature is by bartering. Um, Another interesting thing. So, and this is just cool for me because as somebody who like loved the, uh, Oh, what was the, what was the name of that? Uh, 3.5 book. I used to own it and I lost it. Uh, The, Fiend Folio? No, not the no. Fiend Folio. folio the uh, Book of Something Something Darkness. It was like the oh, Book of Vile Darkness. Eternal, Thank you. Yeah, it was said the Eternal Darkness. Yeah, it was the Book of Yeah. It just sounds like game. a bunch of badness. Uh, the Book of Bad. The Book of Bad. But in the Book of Bad, they had all the Archdevils and the Demon Lords. Uh, and something that I fell in love with when I got into D anD D early on was the constant changes that they do between every edition of what's happening in both on the demon side and the devil side politically. And uh, that brings us to the newest addition to the devil side. Uh, the new Lord of the First Layer is no longer Bell. Bell has been kicked out. He just used to be a pit fiend, but with even bigger muscles. Now Ooh. we have Zeriel. Yeah, so now Bell's finally away from the politics he didn't want to deal with, and he gets to just focus on fighting. Actually, no. It's funny because Bell actually has to deal with more politics because Zeriel doesn't believe in politics. <laughs> uh, but Bell didn't believe in him either. Yeah, no, but Zeriel is Bell, but just more hardcore. Okay, uh, Zeriel is this. a yeah, solar. 
Yeah, Zeriel's a former solar, so a angel, a fallen angel that got sick of watching the Blood War and was like, Mom, Mom, I want to fight. I want to fight the demons. I want to fight the devil. Mom, is how the lore kind of is summed up if you're being a jerk like I am. Um, but what actually happens is she finally just jumps in the fight because she's sick of having to just sit there and observe it. And becomes the Lord of the First Lair. And she is one of the few devils who gets a stat block in this book that is uh, just an early criticism is they don't give you all the arch devils yet. Like they did in uh, Out of the Abyss where they give you all of the demon lords. You only get – really, you only get Zeriel in this book. You only get her stat block, which is a disappointment to me. You get some others. You get some others, but they are usually lieutenants or, uh, you know, like you get Titavilius, which (laughs) – Titty Villiers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you get a lot of demons, though. You get a lot of demons. Um, but, like, you get Titty Villiers, who is the uh, lieutenant of Dispater on the second layer. Uh, but back to the main point, though. Zeriel is a absolute hoss. We're going to cover her stat block when we get to the monster stat blocks. Uh, she's dangerous. Let's leave it at that for the moment. She's dangerous. Her power, though, is really cool. Uh, back to this whole cult power thing that we had, which, again, I think is a great mechanic. Uh, she, One of her abilities is you can just automatically make a critical hit. Yeah, she, just once a day, long or short rest required. Uh, it you just, just get to crit. You just get to crit. Like, did you hit? Yeah, cool. Uh, would you like that to be a crit? Would you like special sauce on that? That sounds like a good way to kill players, I got to tell you. Do you want to make your players sweat? Yeah. <laughs> Did they bring the wrong pizza? Did they bring the wrong <laughs> – Did they not pick up the six-pack you asked for? Did they forget everything? You just ran into Did they a, spend your entire – You just ran into a cult leader of Zeriel. Um, oh, you're playing on your phone? Sweet. Zeriel's here. <laughs> <laughs> Neat. So other things that Chapter 1 adds. Uh, we get nine – new tiefling variants the cambions i believe yeah they they call them the cambions because and this is a question we've been asking amongst ourselves and something we uh meant to research a little bit before the show but we just didn't have time uh it seems like they're kind of backtracking tieflings being demons like having demon heritage and now they're kind of shifting it more towards devil because all of these tiefling variants or cambion if you're going by what was written in the monster manual and player's handbook all have to deal with arch devils that being said, though, there are a numerous amount of tiefling stat blocks now, So, and all of them get different spells. Uh, the one that comes to mind off the top of my head is the Zerial tiefling, which gets a... You really like her, huh? Yeah, I do. Zerial's OP. Z- Zerial's cool. I like Zerial. I, I am a sucker for angels and you know Christian mythology and stuff like that, so... Uh, that means even if they have to beg mom to let them stay out. Past well, curfew the other thing. The well, the other thing why I, I kept it in mind was uh, a fifth level tiefling with Zerial blood gets. Uh, I believe it's branding spite. Uh, let me ch- double check. I'm pretty sure that's true. But it's either burning. Yeah, I'm pretty cool. sure it's branding. I'm trying. Give me a second. Come on. Okay, Zerial is uh, searing smite mm. and branding smite at fifth level. No. Yeah. So you get two smites. And you can play whatever the hell you want. Like, you know, and that just set off all the bells and whistles in my head because the idea of a tiefling rogue who can sneak attack with a smite is just. You don't even need that one level dip anymore. Yeah, it's just rude. It's just mean. It's made of meanness. Uh, We also get cool stuff uh, where cult leaders get features uh, from archdevils. They get boons. 
from demon lords and those are actually a lot more powerful but they're a lot more high risk high reward uh just to jump into one really quick because there's a lot yeah those to cover in this book at least 10 in here as far as i can tell um but one that comes to the forefront the one that definitely got a chuckle out of me was uh jubilex's boon jubilex being the great lord of ooze and slime and all that business uh you gain eight to constitution plus eight to constitution but you lose eight from intelligence wisdom and charisma so you're dumb as a post. Um, yeah, unless you were a super genius. But, but if you were you, a super genius, you forget you would... how to read or how to breathe. Uh, no, doesn't matter <laughs> because you then turn into the T one thousand. Yeah, way to steal my joke. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah, you said it in the car, and I took it from you. Yep. So <laughs> because you're able to move through any surface that has holes in it, you can move through grates. Uh, you gain the ooze ability of resistance to piercing, bludgeoning, slashing damage. Uh, but does your gear go with you? Because Jake's been sleeping with the book, so we haven't had an opportunity to. It's do not more really than listed. It, it I, doesn't say. I, honestly, I assume. I'm so. going to assume yes, because Jubilex isn't. Uh, he's a jerk, but he's not like enough of a jerk to screw over his own followers for no reason. Yeah, especially like the crazy. I love it that they mention it three times too in the first chapter. That like anybody who goes to like get power from Jubilex is absolutely insane. And they just, like, keep bringing, like, even in his boon section, like, he's not going to have a lot of followers. But if you do run into one, here's what they can do. And they can just, they turn into jelly and push their way through grades. Chapter one is a blast. Oh, yeah. But moving on, because there's a lot of book to cover. So chapter two. Elves. Elves. The lore here is very thorough. Um, Where I'm going to highly recommend this book for DMs, like, I think every gaming group should have this book for one reason. And that is for players who play either elves, dwarves, halfling, gnome, um, you know, so non-human races, basically. All the non-human races. The only one who doesn't get any representation in this book is Dragonborn. Uh, Yeah, they got enough representation already. mm Mm-hmm. There is a bunch of very good, useful role-playing information in this book. Um, If you have problems with your players, you know, and they just play their elves or dwarves or halflings or whatever as just... As, as he looks at me as he says halfling. I'm, wow. Rude. Rude. Um, as just humans with some slight twists. Yeah. as They actually do a very good job of putting down on paper like how do they feel about ju- uh, justice and law? How do they feel about magic? How do they feel about um, their gods, you know, the, their pantheon? How do they feel about, you know, for elves they have aging and how they feel about, you know, basically being, you know, because to – elves were dogs in terms of age. Like elves are going to drastically outlive us. Yeah. You know, so they have aging. Humans are elves of the dog world. So, yeah. Um, so they have excellent thorough lore on how they feel about different topics and how you can differentiate, which is something I really appreciate. And then they also have, uh, a bunch of stuff in here too, about the drow, the shatter Kai, uh, the Raven queen, which is something that was kind of bum, bum, bum. yeah continued kind of, from fourth edition, but has been expanded upon now. Yeah, well, it took them a while too because like the Raven Queen was like, "Hey, everybody, remember the Raven Queen?" And like the Raven Queen is still such a new thing, really, in the D and D landscape that you know, especially since a lot of people didn't like fourth edition when it came out. Uh, I don't know why you had healing surges, so you didn't have to have a healer. You know, and, uh, we'll the, get into that argument another time. Yeah, the fourth edition debate is a 
argument for one. another show. Oh, I'm just stirring the pot. Yeah. But, you know, they have more lore on the Raven Queen, more lore on the Drow, and they add three, one, two, three, brand new player character races. Yep. Uh, the Eladrin is finally back. Uh, the Eladrin, as I've seen online, has been contentious. At best. Uh, for what's come out because they've changed the lore drastically. It is now based on what season the Eladrin is born. Uh, they definitely tied him more tightly to the Fey, to the Feywild. To, and also to mythologically uh, Celtic and Irish Fey. Yeah. So. And I'm personally, like, I'm very on board with it because I already have a very different use for my Eladrin in my game anyways. So seeing that was like, oh, actually, I kind of like that. So I might shift it a little bit. Um but they added the Eladrin. They're very different, but they still have uh, Fae Step. Which is one of the best racial feats in the game. So. Yep, Misty Step, a free Misty Step. So that's cool. Uh, sea Elves, after finally having like an er- Unearthed Arcana like forever ago, finally Now have they have official stats. Official stats. Makes me very happy. And the Shatter Kai have official player stats. So if you want to play a Shatter Kai, your DM, or your DM and uh, you want to introduce them as a playable race, boom. They're here. Moving on to dwarfs, it's a lot of the same stuff as the elves. A lot of these you're gonna you're gonna get a lot of these same stories uh, for most of these, but like they add clan politics and they they explain dwarvish life in more detail, which is interesting. I think because they kind of went with a more um, Warhammer fantasy esque take on the dwarves, and they cut out the insane overbearing grudge thing and replaced it more with insane overbearing love of craftsmanship and community. Yes, that and a absolute like a adoration for being underneath the mountain that is heavily focused here. Like they, there are tables added. I should state too because I did miss this a little bit. Um, for everything that's been added here, elves, tieflings, dwarves, you name it, uh, there are extra player trait and tables added, which is nice. Which is a really good additional step for player creation. I mean. You know, for me, I've always found tables very helpful for players when they, you know. When they're blanking on ideas. When they're blanking on ideas or they're new to the hobby and they just like, they don't know how to flex those creative muscles yet. Or they don't know which professional wrestler to steal their ideas from. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Clearly. So, with dwarves though, they add, obviously, their relation to their gods, uh, a lot about the Druger and, you know, that whole contentious bit. Uh Minor origin for the Duragar too, which is yes, nice. which is also good to have in case you know you're a new DM and you just read the monster manual and you're like evil dwarves. Neat. Let's figure this out. But I want to focus on two things from the dwarf chapter because they delighted me. One, they actually confront the uh, dwarven elephant in the room, and that is drinking. They talk about how dwarfs drink and. They're like they're social drinkers. It turns out, yeah. It turns out they're well. They just give you the lore. Like whenever they drink, uh, they're not like humans who apparently drink to forget. Which I guess makes me a giant dwarf because uh, no, I drink to I drink to sing songs and get buck wild. So and fall asleep at night. Yeah, and fall asleep at night. No, that's what uh, that's what the devil's lettuce is for. But it's Michigan. It's medical. Yeah. Um, my condition is not being high all the time. Exactly. But. 
so you know they have a bit on how it's like they're not alcoholics they do this to remember family and lost ones and you know all this stuff and they're like but whatever you do don't talk to the one dwarf who's drinking by himself because it's bad um it's bad juju yeah which you know ultimately it's kind of funny because when you read the whole thing it's like so what you're saying is they're still just like people with their drinking it's a sidebar that literally does nothing um that being said though the best part of that chapter hands down is chromatic dragons and dwarves and how they interact dwarves and dragons if you will yeah dwarves and dragons uh dungeons and dragons if you will oh oh slamming here yeah i'm so clever let's pull this up so (laughs) reading this this is beautiful reads in it reads in a fashion that could best be described as dragons no it's too far Gone. We're listening to Jake. Okay, no. Dragons could potentially at any point attack. Um, and They with, usually will not, though. They for... usually will not, though, because they're attacking a dwarven fortress. So with every dragon, they're like black dragon. Here, you know, and it's wh- like. Wh- which which color do you want us to read? Well, I'll, I'll have you read uh, green because green's pretty funny to me. But I, I think white is actually better in this case because it's. Well, white is the only actual serious threat. Um. Apparently, according to uh, according to Mordekaidens, there is. But every single dragon thing goes like this. It's like black dragons live in swamps, so they don't live near mountains usually. But so they won't use a lot of dwarves. But so, but in case they do want to invade a dwarven thing, oh boy, you better look out. They're coming, and that's how every single relationship with dwarves and dragons goes. Is <laughs> They're probably not going to invade, but just in case they do, this is, it's like living in America and just being like, listen, now Canada is not going to invade America, but in case it did, oh boy. It's going to go down. It's going to go down. Listen, Mexico is not going to invade America. It's never going to happen, but just in case it does, oh boy, look out. But the only actual serious threat here is the white dragon, which we will read because that one's actually a good entry. So do you want me to read green or white? Read white. White dragons. Dwarves who live in cold climates don't usually have to cope with as many predators and marauders as as do their kin in more hospitable terrain, but a white dragon patrols its territory relentlessly, neither subtle nor shrewd in its methods, often using natural camouflage to ambush its prey. A dragon that lairs nearby might be willing to leave a dwarven settlement unmolested if its appetite is sated by the creatures it can catch in the open, including travelers that enter and exit the place. On occasion, this state of relatively, it's in parentheses, peaceful coexistence is shattered when a devious rival dragon with with designs on a white dragon's territory enters the picture. Taking advantage of the dragon's limited mental faculties, the rival secretly sends its minions out to harass the dragon. Convinced that the dwarves must be to blame, the dragon engages them in a wider conflict than the dwarves' responding kind. Even if neither side destroys the other, both will be severely weakened, after which the rival moves in to finish the job. So pretty much the white dragon's too stupid to realize that it's Yeah, the white dragon's good. the only one's too stupid to realize that it's in a bad Probably flight. a bad idea to attack a small underground settlement when you are the size of a house and breathe fire. Oh, I'm getting hit by Ice. I'm getting hit Ice. by kobolds. It must be the dwarves. Yep. Oh yes. Um, but no, a lot of great, it's the dwarves fault. again, a lot of great lore. Uh, I'm again, like something I want to impress from reading this book is it adds so much to every player who wants to play those races. 
And I highly recommend you just let them read their chapter because they will come away with a lot of cool stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, on to the next one. And honestly, it's the only chapter I like legitimately skipped. And it is the GIF. Uh, not Another of, Planescape psionics. element. Yeah. An, not out of hatred, but just I do things differently. My campaign setting, my mind flayers are arcanic and not psionic. Uh, and the gith don't exist because the mind flayers occupy a completely different role in my setting. Uh, you know, I have homebrewed and switched them and changed them to my thing. So for me, the gith are not important because they don't exist clearly in my setting. But but if they if, do now, oh, <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> but if you're somebody who does want to have the mind flayers as they are traditionally portrayed, um, you know members of a dying race who used to be the most powerful race of all time and they're being hunted by their former slaves. This has everything you need. Uh, I'm like, I'm actually looking forward to reading this chapter. It just wasn't essential for my, it's like a psionic Conan. This. Yeah. They, uh, it's a get, lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. And it's great that the planescape stuff is back, but if you're not using psionics, you're not going to have a lot of use. For the gift, I'm afraid. Yes. Uh, they do add two more PC races. We have the Gith Zerai. and Gith Zerai. Yep. Yes. If I'm saying it right. It's, you are correct. It's all written down. Yeah. Uh, so we get two more player character races. And again, just a bunch of great lore. Like, I, you know, I thumbed through it because it does all look interesting, but I just didn't have time. You also get the traits and the creation tables and just all that great stuff. Um, the last chapter of lore is halflings and gnomes split. And I am very happy to report that we actually did not get a new player character race out of halfling. That was a tremendous relief because as Jake said to me in the car, he was very worried as he was paging through it and he saw the other races being added. Says, oh no, they're going to bring back Kender, aren't they? I was parent. I had a massive amount of paranoia that Kender was going to make a inglorious return. But thankfully, Wizards is like, you know what? We that, won't give them an excuse to say that's what my character would do. Yeah. Like, if Kender, we're going to do Kender one day, and it's just going to be like... A it, 60 minutes hate? Yeah, it's going to be... Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be that. I am all for screwing with Jake's day, but Kender is too much. No, Kender, Kender is rude. If you're not familiar... Uh, a brief summary not, of Kender. No, brief <laughs> summary from... You know what? Jake, can you actually contain yourself? No, just that? you do it because I'll get mad because I'll start swearing. <laughs> okay, so Kenders, they're that nice little halfling that says, ooh, this coin purse is nice. I'm oh, I like it. this. This is mine. It may or may not be attached to a traveler's uh, belt. But they don't see what's wrong with it. They just take it. They have a they have a compulsion to steal, and they have no cultural recognition that stealing is wrong. It's not stealing; it's acquiring. And what makes this all worse is that they aren't seen as a pest and a menace like kobolds, but instead they're so pure and precious that if they were ever lost, the good races of the universe would understand that a great thing has been lost in the universe. Instead of you should kill these people on sight, and it'll make you feel better. Yeah. So yeah, because they're just allowed by rules to steal. Okay, we're done talking about Kender. We're gonna. Do the Kender episode another day. I'm already yep. my dander is up. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the dander what, that's is why up. I wanted. We've said too much. That said, the halfling chapter is quite good. Yeah, the halfling chapter is thorough and awesome. They cover everything about like how they actually got the lucky trait. 
the lucky halfling, you know, the halfling feature where, you know, if you roll a one, guess what? It ain't a one. So the only thing a halfling can ever roll is a two. Um, they cover that. They cover, again, more Pantheon, more God Pantheon stuff. Um, a favorite bit from the chapter is the God of Battle and talking of halfling battle tactics. Arvarine in there. Famous battle tactics such as run away in circles and then jump it all at once. Yeah. Uh, what's that one called? Scatterstrike? Scatterstrike, yes. And then there is uh, – It was right here. There you go. No, and then there's the – what is it? The fiddle and – The fiddle and crack. A halfling fiddler lures the monster into a trap, usually a net or a pit, followed by several burly halflings wielding large sticks and hitting the monster from a safe vantage. There's your new <laughs> uh, There's your new character concept, a burly halfling. Yeah, a burly halfling. They're, they're, they're playing with a pinata. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in all seriousness, now they add a bunch of really cool stuff like halfling superstitions, which is another great like little thing that a role player, like a person playing a halfling, uh, should probably know about. Like, should pick up and add to their role play because it just makes their role play that much better. If you're um, three foot tall and somehow manage to step on a butterfly, that's three days sitting in your house. Yeah, that's three days sitting on your sitting in your house. There's uh, three I days believe, of time. I believe oh. it's the page back here. I'll here. Never I'll enter you. a fairy circle, Since and even worse than that, don't stand in the center of it. Yeah, a couple other fun uh, ones. Are, <laughs> one of my other favorites is put a frog under your cap to bring good luck, but not for too long, or it's bad luck for a fortnight. <laughs> uh, Define too long. Yeah, that's no, they, the question, isn't that's it? That's the thing, ain't it? A large silvery squirrel could be Yandala in disguise. Be on your best behavior and offer a treat when you see her. You know, so it's like if you keep little stuff like this, you can have some great encounters with your halfling player and the DM. Without being a complete jerk. And the party can just be like, what the hell was that? Why didn't you know that was Yandala in disguise? You're, I'm surprised you're not cursed with bad luck for you 20 know, years. It's, 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 little, it's little stuff it's like that, little though, party. that really adds to the game. Hey, here's a silvery squirrel. Halfling's like, oh, let, let me quickly fix everything up, give it a treat. Meanwhile, the rogue is like, or no, the ranger's like, oh, that's a nice appetizer. Shoots with um, a bow. Halfling I, I am going to go out though on a limb and like between the devil and demon chapter and the halfling chapter, I'm actually going to say that the halfling chapter is my favorite in the book because it no, it just adds a bunch of like. Fun fluff things that you can add. Really, really good fun fluff stuff where like the dwarf and the elf stuff, you could all kind of guess like as you're reading it. Like, yeah. That's more serious in nature, the halfling. It's all fun and games. Yeah. My personal favorite is uh, the way they treat their nature god. Um, every time they go to cut down a tree for building a new home, they all bow their caps and they ask the god of nature if they're allowed to – their god of nature if they're allowed to cut down this tree. And, you know, usually like it, it depends on like the way the wind blows and stuff like that and – it's all all very cool little stuff like that and their oral traditions. And for me, it just – it really struck well. Uh, the other half of the chapter is gnomes. I didn't really care as much about that to be honest. But The, the gnome stuff was still pretty standard gnome stuff. Like they tinker. They – They like exploding things. Yeah. They – you know, they like to build. Otherwise, they panic. Um, we do get deep gnomes as officially set it out characters. Um and obviously, again, there's the fun traits and tables. Uh, my personal favorite table in this entire book also comes from the halfling section, which is how halflings started their adventure. It's pretty good. I got to tell you. My uh, my favorite one being your best friend dared you to jump on a horse in a field and it turned out to be a Pegasus and you're just here in a random city now. Enjoy. Yeah, enjoy. It's it's 
Their good luck will save them. It's a it's a good chapter I, of the book. It's one my, thing, honestly, my favorite. Hold to on, be Commander Contrary in here, I do wish they put a little less emphasis on halflings only being rogues. Like, yeah. if you look up the adventure tables, like, three out of the six are, oh, this is why this halfling is a rogue. But what if you talk to a nice fairy in the woods and all of a sudden you were a thousand miles from home? And now you're a warlock. And now you're a warlock. There's a lot of good stuff. I like how they specified nice fairy. So really quick, though, let's just pound for pound. The lore in this book alone is worth the purchase. I think if you're especially if you're really into, you know, lore and stuff, uh, the tables are nice to have. But if you're into D&D lore alone, like I am and like I just I've always loved the lore of monsters and creatures and fantasy races and stuff. Um this part of the book is a really good buy. But then we get 149 stat blocks. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So. Watch. Someone with better counting skills will probably correct us. Probably. But it's it's 140, 149. Um, it, it's a lot. Now, to be fair, there is um, – there are some reprints. You Cadaver know. Collector is my favorite. But uh, no. Well, there are there's a lot of uh, call-ups. We can call it from uh, developmental, you know, a lot of the the beloved old monsters from the old books have been brought up. And then there's also some reprints like from Out of the Abyss. Out of the Abyss has a, uh, you know, all the demon lords have been reprinted here in this book, which is good for me because I've always like wanted to buy Out of the Abyss just for those stat blocks. And now I don't have to buy that book because I have this book. Um, They also add all the new devil lords and stuff like that. But Let's go over really quick, you know, because obviously if we were to sit here and go through every single damn thing. We'd be here thing, for a while. We'd be here till about 8 o'clock. So, and then we'd get thrown out. Oh, yeah. No, we wouldn't banned. get thrown out, actually. Um, but my bill would be astronomical. So we'd be thrown out. Yeah. By me, yes. So we're just going to go down to three old favorites that have uh, reappeared. Uh, number one, the Bone Claw. Big bone claw. Bone claw is big ready. Hands. <laughs> big hands. Big piano playing hands. Uh, Paul, will you sum up what the bone claw is? So the bone claw is what a lich could become if they fail their ritual. If they f- do most of the ritual, but they aren't mentally and physically strong enough to force their soul into the phylactery, instead they can fail and become a bone claw. And instead, their soul goes and finds the biggest jerk within, oh, it says a few miles. So you go and find the most evil, hateful person in a few miles, and you become this sort of sadistic, hateful undead that kills at their whim. Yes. and Whether or not they know. Yeah. Well, and what makes this such a juicy monster, and it's so good for so, like a mini adventure, like this isn't a big bad, but this is like side arc, you know, quali- like quality – three or four sessions stuff is that this monster resurrects every time it dies. The only way to kill a bone claw permanently is to either a kill the person who the bone claw has attached itself to or B you turn that person good. And what's interesting is they note in the book too, is that a bone claw can, can attach only to- serve evil. If it's master finds redemption or sincerely turns away from the path of evil, the bone claw is permanently destroyed. And it allows that evil to even be children. Yep. Or so little Timmy, who keeps pulling everybody's hair and stealing their lunch. You know, that, yeah. Little Timmy, who's claw. just a miserable little shit because his dad beats him. 
could be attached to a bone claw, and you could actually have very good resolutions and like you can't just kill this kid. I yeah, mean, you can't. Well, un- you could unless kill the kid unless you know, unless your party's just like, oh, stab the kid, boom, done. You know, but you got a paladin and stuff. You want to give him a good like an arc. You, you you have a paladin looking for something really good to do and an arc to sink his teeth into. Oh, your paladin screwed up. Here, let's give him a redemption arc. You know, there's a bunch of stuff like that. Uh, there, there's so much you can do with this monster, and it makes for such a good side quest. And the fact that uh, it is absolutely terrifying, like it's a giant shrieking skull monster. The art, and the art for the bone claw in this book is so Pretty good. Creepy. Too. It used to, it used to look very funny. It was like, where is my fantasy piano? But now it's like dead ass terrifying. Come at me, bro. Yeah. So, a little background. The Bone Claw first appeared in 3rd edition, as far as I know, in the 3. Monster 5. Manual 3. Yep, 3.5, yes. Monster Manual 3, as a CR4. So, like a mid, like an early monster. An early yeah. monster. And then in 4th edition, they were like, nah, bro. CR14. 17. 17? Oh. Yeah. He was a beefy boy in... Uh, he ate his peas and carrots. 4th edition, yeah. No, he uh, he did his push-ups and uh, he took his vitamins and said his prayers. Now uh, he's down to a more comfortable CR twelve. CR twelve has a bunch of really good abilities. We're running. We're starting to run short on time, but he's a beat stick. He claws people, and he can't be killed. And he can jump through shadows to attack you. Well, he can be killed. He'll just come right back. He just comes back a couple hours later, and you know, does the shrieking Skeletor thing. Oh, you think you can sleep? <laughs> so, besides that, let's move to the next one. Then. Move to the next favorite that is back in the book. Um, this one's been reformatted pretty heavily. And that is the Zaratan. Yes, the Earth Turtle. Uh, so back in the back in the nineties, uh, this came out in nineteen ninety two. It was uh, from the Al Qadim Appendix. I hope I'm saying that right. And Al Qadim, something like Al-Kadim, that. Al Qadim, something like that. It's a giant turtle. Back in the day, it used to be a giant turtle that swam in the ocean that had an island on its back as its shell. Um, Which they, is cool. Al- you know. Aladdin in the Hand of Thieves. They've changed it. To uh, just be a giant turtle earth elemental. But its abilities are really cool. Uh, Paul, if you could read the ability for the earthquake. Earth-shaking movement. As a bonus action after moving at least 10 feet on the ground, the Zaratan can send a shockwave through the ground in a 120-foot radius circle centered on itself. That area becomes difficult terrain for one minute. Each creature on the ground that is concentrating must succeed in a DC 25 constitution saving throw or your concentration is broken. The shockwave also deals 100 thunder damage to all structures in contact with the ground in the area. If a creature near that structure collapses, that creature must be bar- might be buried. A creature than half the distance of the structure's height must succeed in a DC 25, ouch, dexterity saving throw. On a failed save, the creature takes 5d6 bludgeoning damage and is knocked prone and then is trapped in the rubble, which is restrained. Wow. Thank wizards for Aarakocra, yeah. right? <laughs> oh, wait, everybody bans them. Yes. <laughs> Nobody likes Eric Rokra. Nobody. Except for me. Yeah. Bird puns. Wow. So. That's, be- a, that's a pretty standard beat stick. It, yeah, it can it's pretty standard rocks beefy monster. Uh, the uh, Strength 30, you know, just in case. Yeah. Um, two. <laughs> so here's what I love about it, though, because with all of these elemental monsters, so just they added uh, – they re-added Tempest as well, which is another old favorite of mine as the Air Elemental. They redid it slightly. Uh, they re-added Leviathan, which is the only one I'm like really mad about because I used to love the big whale Leviathan from 3.5. And it's now instead just a 
water elemental that kind of looks like a water dragon, kind of. Um, and then they added Phoenix, and Phoenix has been nerfed a little bit. But Zeratan, I really like because you can, just with that first ability, that building destroying ability and its walk, you can... Like, you could have a Zeratan show up in your campaign, not even be a villain. It just ruins a city by walking by it. And you can create a great encounter and this whole great scenario from that city being destroyed just from the Zeratan moving from A to B. Yeah. It's just not a good thing, honestly. It's not a good thing, but it's, you know. It's fun for you, not so much for your players. Well, you know, but it's it, – that's, the, you know, the, the clutch moments are what the memories are made of. That's, oh, yeah. That's what I like to believe. Um, now that being said though, if you do miss the turtle island idea of a Zeratan, uh, don't fret in the kobold press Toma beasts, which is a five E supplement supplement, uh, not officially recognized by wizards, obviously, but made by kobold press. Uh, they have the Zeratan CR 26. It's a giant turtle with an island on its back and it's really cool and it's really well done. It's one of my favorite things out of that book. So if you have the Toma beasts or you've been, Looking for a reason to buy it, go ahead and buy it for that stat block. There's a bunch of other great stuff in that book. But other people have already talked endlessly about how great that book is online. So let's get to a personal favorite of both Paul and myself. Ah, yes. That has made it into this book. I definitely uh, gave a small cheer flipping through the bestiary section of this book and seeing him. The Return of the Larva Mage, or as... Most people probably know it. The worm that walks. Back in the day. Huh. What, when you could become a lich. Yeah. Back in my day. Well, you know. You the early see. 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> back in the days of, the dark days of third edition. Yeah. Yeah. However you want to look at it. There going, was. Going through 40 manuals. There was your regular lich, you know, like a CR-14 and 5E, they got their, I feel their correct power level where they're like a CR-20. Um but there used to be a lich that was one step bigger. The lich that lifts, if you will, as yeah. opposed to the worm that walks. And that was the worm that walks. Uh, a become, Where becoming a lich was highly unlikely, but if you did, by Almost becoming a worm guaranteed. that walks, you, uh, you know, or if you try to become a worm that walks, it's, you know, you're probably going to die. But if you do, you're going to be unimaginably powerful. Um, also, just incredibly creepy. Because it's just a pile of worms. It's a pile of worms that wears human faces and – You know, like the king in yellow. Robes and – yeah, no, and it's just uh, – I mean, altogether, I love the fact that they just put Star Spawn as like this be Lovecraftian stuff. Yeah. It's even got a mention about the uh, the Far Realm, which is something that hasn't really been touched on in 5th edition but was touched on extensively in 4th edition. Yes, because everybody loves some Lovecraft. Uh, ultimately, though – with this, so they brought the power down a little bit. It's weaker. CR sixteen now. Yep, weaker so. than a regular lich. But Paul, you've uh, you've been pouring over the stat block. So, admittedly, it doesn't have as much casting potential. It does have the ability to every round cast a cantrip of its choice, but it doesn't. It's not a high level spellcaster like the original worm that walks was. And it specifically calls out the original personality of the cultist that becomes a worm that walks is destroyed. What it does have is it gets to dominate monster three times a day. And it can do some other very nasty things, such as turning into a pile of worms, and then you have to kill each individual worm to kill it, or it regenerates in 24 hours. Or it can just restrain you and then eat your flesh and restore hit points for each person it eats. Yeah. 
It's also resistant to more types than it's not resistant to. <laughs> so what's it not resistant to? Well, it's not resistant to fire and acid. All right. And Sonic. Well, uh, fire is a pretty easy thing to come across, well, but still. And then you can keep the warps going away by having the druid make rain and you know how worms just come up to the top. You yeah. know, but like could you just imagine though that like that one eagle that takes like three worms and runs away and you're just like, God, no. Damn. Especially after like, those that's worms. How, that's how you blasted. encourage rage in your players. All right. We're going to go over one final monster and then we got to call this a session. All right. Um, and it's the one that we hyped up the most in this book. Zariel. Zariel is a challenge rating 26 monster, just in case your players are getting too big for their britches. Yeah, so cracking open this book, looking at the bestiary, you know, the first thing you do, because, you know, they have the uh, adjusted by CR rankings in the back. I uh, I went back there, and I, w- I wanted to see what the new big bad thing that came out with this book, because when uh, we got Volos, there wasn't, there's, you know, a couple of things that were actually pretty scary, but there was nothing like, whoo, you know, and... Like that, there's that animal part of your brain that just wants to see the biggest, scariest thing that there is. And so when you go to the back of this book, you see a couple of familiar faces, Orcus, because it's Orcus, and the Demogorgon, because it's the Demogorgon, both at CR 26, but there was a a new name, a new face, Zeriel, the new lord of the first layer of the Nine Hells. And I said, okay, how did this get to CR26? And I went and took a look. And ladies and gentlemen, we have a winner. <laughs> um, no, it's funny because most CR, like most high CR stuff, if you go and look at every other demon lord in this book, there is a bajillion like little, you know, unique powers and unique little things they can do. And it's like, oh, that's why they're so strong. Zeriel is just the most straightforward high CR monster I've ever seen because it's like, hi, my name is Zeriel. I can fly 150 feet around. I can uh, teleport 120 feet anytime I feel like it. Yeah, teleport 120 feet every time I feel like I get two attacks. My Uh, weapons are fire. My weapons are fire. I'm going to do 50 damage per attack. On average. On average. And my attack is at plus 16 in case you thought your AC was going to yeah, save you. Yeah, if you thought your AC was going to save you, guess what? Nah, brah. And Oh, you you want to try to pass my spell save? 26. Yeah. Um, here's a poisoning slap. Like, Zeriel is literally the most straightforward murder machine I've ever seen. And it's like, I just, I, I love it for its simplicity. <laughs> if you have a player whoever uh, gives you problems and they're just like, listen, my fighter is so badass. It can take anything. Pit him against Zeriel. Just like will not, e- not even in game. Just like, like, no, you want to do a duel with a really badass monster, like out of game. You want to see what happens? Put him against Zeriel and just watch them go. How am I supposed to deal with this exactly? Yeah, because unless you have straight up fire resistance. Fire like, immunity is the only thing that's really going to save you. Even then you're still taking like – 30 damage around just from the physical damage alone. Yeah, just straight from getting stabbed. And the mobility this thing has is incredible. Um, oh, shit. We forgot Fire Eyes. <laughs> yeah, and then there's Fire Eyes. Paul, if you would like to read for us, please. Fire Eyes? Specifically, you mean the uh, immolating gaze? Fire Eyes. <laughs> <laughs> she turns her magical gaze towards one creature she can see within 120 feet of her and commands it to combust. The target succeeds in a DC 26 wisdom saving throw or takes 4d10 fire damage. Which averages out to? 22. Yep. And that's just a – She just gets to do that on your turn too. Yeah, that's a legendary action so she can just do it if she wants to. 
Um, oh, and she gets 20 hit points back at the beginning of every round. Yeah, that too. Uh, what's her total HP at? 580. 500. <laughs> uh, what was AC? Uh, 21, which is rare because I think it's the first monster manual thing I've seen that has an AC of higher than 20. Yeah, that sounds about right. You're going to need a lot of halflings with a lot of sticks. <laughs> You're going to need several fiddlers. <laughs> More and, than one. And and at least 50 sticks, at least. Um. So final thoughts on Mordenkainen's before we go, guys. I think it's an excellent uh, monster manual too, as I've said before. There's a lot of lore in it that I like, and there's a lot of monsters in it that I could see many uses for. It brings back old favorites I didn't know I was missing, like the gray render and the corpse collector. Yes. The little bit I've seen skimming through it, I've really liked. But since you keep falling asleep with it, I haven't really been able to go in depth. Well, you'll you'll get your chance here Eventually, soon, sometime in the next two soon. months. Uh, well, actually, uh, May 29th, the, uh, the retail version comes out. So you can get your hands on one of them. Bad keep boys. your eyes on the store bookshelves. Um, yeah, for me, no, this is – uh, it, Volos, you've been you've been kicked off of your second place shelf, um, and Xanathar's even even Xanathar's like, I don't know, it's it's a really close toss up between me with Xanathar's and Mordenkainen's. Um, there's a couple of negatives that I have to take away. Uh, a, I wanted the all the Archdevil stat blocks. Ah, oh, well, I was really hoping for those in this book, but I presume those can come later. Um, the second thing I was really Again, I just wish I would have seen more of because I want to see how they do it. Would have been uh, Dragonborn stats, like you know Dragonborn lore and how they do it. But the Dragonborn are such a new thing, considering like Fourth Edition was the first time, and they were like Dragonborn, you can be one. Um, but other than that, though, like you know, and reprints aside, it is a really good book. I think it definitely adds to the DM's toolkit. It adds a whole bunch of very interesting monsters. Like, I mean, we just covered four at, at yeah. random, basically at random. You know, out of out of classic love, and I mean, most hell, of them. If were... I just opened the book at random, I opened the Nightwalker, which is a titan of undead awfulness, and you know, it's they're... just full of stuff like that. You know, it adds. Yeah, it it brings back a bunch of old favorites. Like the Nightwalker is actually a really. I'm really glad you randomly did that because, like, I remember the Nightwalker from three point five, and. I was flipping through the book and I saw the Nightwalker and I was like, oh, shit. I didn't shit. know that was missing. I, yeah, I, I forgot it was gone. So, you know, there's just a whole bunch of stuff that's been updated for 5e and it's a lot of fun. Overall, I think it's probably the most well put together book they put out. It's definitely well more well put together than – Since the core books anyway. Yeah. It's more well put together than Xanathar's. Um, I still give Xanathar's the nod as like the if you own one book out of the Holy Trinity, Xanathar's gets that nod. But Mordenkainen's is right on its ass. Sounds about right. Yeah. So, guys, it's been a long show. (laughs) Thanks for staying with us. Thanks for sticking with us. Those of you who have stuck with us the entire time, we've had a lot of fun talking to Nerdarchy. We've had a lot of fun talking about Mordenkainen's. Uh, next week, we are going to be doing an interview with a fellow podcaster from Podcast Detroit. Uh, we are going to be interviewing Punk Wisdom, I believe is the name of the show. I hope I did not mess that up. Uh, if not, there will be a very awkward edit on the podcast version of this. Um, 
as far as us, we are the 3DMs podcast. Uh, you can find us anywhere podcasts are sold and or marketed. Uh, please check us out on iTunes. Please give us uh, give us five stars so more people can find us and like our show. Um, we enjoy doing this kind of off the cuff D&D content for you every week. And we want to keep bringing it to you. And we want to bring it to more people who kind of enjoy our random scatterbrained musings on Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, but I think we've had enough fun for one week. Wouldn't you agree, gentlemen? I agree. You can never have too much fun, but well, we when, when, when you have to pay for it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So uh, I'm Jake. I'm Nacho. I'm Paul. And we've had a lot of fun this week, guys. We can't wait to see you next week. We're going to talk about Minotaurs. We're going to talk about Centaurs. We're going to talk about fantasy writing. And uh, we'll probably jump into more Mordenkainen sponsors because there's a lot of great stuff in this book. But until then... Roll well, have a good week, and we'll we see, you next, see you next time.